Christina Vane is a singer-songwriter and blues musician. She has a love for old-timey roots music that is very apparent in her songs. She plays multiple instruments, including the slide guitar and claw hammer banjo. She also draws on an inspiration from old-time blues artists like Blind Willie Johnson. Her debut full-length record is called Nowhere Sounds Lovely, and it's an incredible mix of musical influences. I had a chance to talk with her recently about her album, her songs, and her songwriting. I hope you dig it. Well, you had a pretty unique entry into the world of music, and I was wondering if you could uh, share your story about how you kind of got started on things. Yeah, um, I guess that um, I always loved to sing, even when I was just like a toddler. Apparently, I was a big singer, and I think that technically speaking, my entry into music would be starting piano in the first grade, maybe somewhere around there. And I sang in choirs and I joined the school band when I started playing the flute and just kind of like was always very into music, um, really liked it. And then I kind of got into guitar around middle school and had been writing poetry and, and I could sing and I just kind of was like, wouldn't it be cool to throw it all together and write a song? And that's how that started. Um, but at the time I was living in Europe, I moved on so between England, France, and Italy. And my father is American Italian, my mother's Guatemalan, so we kind of inherited a little bit from each of them, obviously. And my they, there was a lot of '80s, obviously, and a lot of Depeche Mode. My dad was a big classic rock guy, is a big classic rock guy, likes you know all that. Uh, there's a lot of Dire Straits and the Rolling Stones in my house, so kind of just generic, popular music. Um, definitely no no bluegrass or anything like that either. Definitely no country. So I kind of, as a teenager, got into punk and metal and indie and everything with a guitar. <laughs> but um, I stumbled pretty much by chance into folk music. I mean, I was already writing songs and I had a vague idea that I wanted to be a musician, but it wasn't until I went to England uh, I went home for the summer and started to try and play some gigs. And I saw a guy playing lap, lap steel, like, or lap slide guitar. And I was super intrigued by this sound. And that was the first step. And then I moved to Los Angeles after college and somehow came across, you know, Blind Willie Johnson and Skip James via Led Zeppelin and Rory Block, who had covered some of their stuff. And that's, I think, the real turning point for me because I had tried to get into blues um, knowing that the slide that I was playing was kind of part of that tradition. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to some Robert Johnson. And obviously this is not about Robert Johnson, but at the time I just like was not, my interest wasn't piqued at all by Robert Johnson. I, I didn't like the quality of the recordings. I'd grown up on, you know, studio recordings and it just seemed repetitive. It just wasn't interesting to me. But when I heard Blind Willie Johnson and Skip James, um, something just shifted and I was mesmerized. And I would say that was kind of like the very first step of very many. I got into the intersection of country blues and country music and bluegrass and all of that. It's taken a few years and it's taken my mentor teaching me how to play fingerstyle guitar. It's taken me picking up the claw hammer banjo and moving to Nashville and playing with and around really talented people, but also people who are very close to the sources of this kind of music, whether it's bluegrass and it runs in their family or 
you know, blues players down in Clarksdale and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's been a really twisty road, and I just think it's really funny that I grew up on another continent, and American folk music is where I've landed, or Americana, if you will, in my own music and my writing. But um, but I'm here now, so. Yeah, that's awesome. What, what um, you moved around um, uh, different parts of Europe uh, quite a bit. Um, what is it kind of work based? Were your parents kind of moving around like uh, different jobs and stuff like that, or? Yeah, uh, yeah. My dad took different jobs mostly, um, and about every three years we moved. I think the longest we stayed in a place was five years in Paris. Um, but yeah, it was just all that. Gotcha. Yeah, it gives you a pretty good perspective on on culture and and you know growing up in different parts of the world. That's pretty neat. It certainly does. Yeah, certainly does help. <laughs> the connection between England and the United States and the blues is pretty fascinating. I, as while you were talking, I was just thinking about the um, British invasion of the the '60s and how those guys were rooted in American blues stuff, and it just continues on. And it, it happens in hip hop as well. Uh, there's a, a, a transcontinental thing going on between the two countries and. It's just, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that, but it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how to say this, but the, the United States is like the strange, now grown-up child of Britain. So there are a lot of cultural similarities. And, of course, that's if you don't count, the obviously, the indigenous culture that was already here, but I'm talking about the settlers that came from England. And at least in the Northeast still to this day, a lot of those, you know, vague principles of like Puritanism and things like that, they still are in the culture in the States. And I think that the tie between the UK and the US is pretty big because the UK is like very, it doesn't even consider it as we've seen (laughs) since I've grown up with Brexit and everything. But even when I was growing up, they called Europe the continent. And I feel like they, I don't know, I just feel like the States is something they can understand a little better but also feel superior to because the brits want to feel superior to everything <laughs> <laughs> right so uh you play a lot of uh different styles of guitar banjo and, and and things like that um but a lot do you do a lot of uh slide blues style guitar um uh, what are some of your favorite blues um slide players yeah um Actually, Blind Willie Johnson would have to be one of my absolute favorite slide players. I love the way he plays guitar. I absolutely love it. It's unparalleled in my opinion. Um, I know a lot of people really gravitate towards newer slide players, and while they are thrilling as players, um, that's not so much my bag. Um, Although I I really respect Derek Trucks a whole lot. Um, And obviously, you know, the Almond Brothers, but that's not really... I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they're like up there with Blind Willie Johnson, for example, in terms of my favorite. Not in terms of what's better. Just I like Blind Willie Johnson's playing a lot. Um, I like Booker White's playing a lot as well with the slide stuff. Um, yeah, I think. And actually, this is probably funny to some people because Fred McDowell wasn't a technically super clean player, but I really liked the way he played slide, and he played with an old like you know, a bone. And so you can kind of hear that and it's just really raw and really cool. And I like his playing a lot too. Right. You play the slide on your um, pinky finger for the most part, um, from the videos I've seen at least. And um, I was interested in, in where you picked that up because a lot of people do it on the ring finger. 
Yeah, I started on the ring finger, and I tell anyone I'm teaching that if they want to, they can, because I think that intuitively the ring finger is a little more stable. You can kind of squish your fingers around the slide and keep it in place, and it fits a little easier on most people's fingers anyway. But uh, Mike Dowling is an incredible contemporary player. He's alive right now, and he um, – I saw him play in L.A. He was a good friend of – my mentor, Pete Steinberg in LA, who's a finger style guy, and Mike Dowling's an incredible player. He's um, sponsored by National, which my guitar is a National. So he's kind of just like in that family of finger style and blues and country blues and ragtime. He played all that kind of stuff just so well. And he's the one I remember seeing with a slide on his pinky, and he played it actually with his pinky bent and a half slide, if that makes sense. I I just cover my pinky and leave it straight because I'm not doing some of the more complicated things he's doing. That's when I realized, you know, some of those tricky chords that require three fingers even in an open tuning are not really possible when you have it on your ring finger because you'd have to just maneuver your hand in a weird way. So it opens up your your hand to do more things when you have it on your pinky. And so I kind of just stuck with it, and now that's how I play. Yeah. The first player I noticed um, uh, playing like that was Jason Isbell. And uh, I was talking to his wife, Amanda Shires, uh, doing an interview. And she said that, that he picked up that style from Bonnie Raitt. And uh, I thought that was an interesting thing. I, I'd never even noticed that she played guitar like that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I see, always feel like I should know more about Bonnie Raitt than I actually do, if that makes sense. I actually love what I do know, and I've heard some really great stuff, and I've definitely listened to a few records through, of course, but I don't know. I didn't grow up on her music, and I kind of just, like, every now and then she enters my periphery with this, like, amazing red hair and her sick playing, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sleeping on Bonnie Raitt. Like, I need to get into her playing more, but I don't... I just know a little bit about her, and I admire her so much, but I don't know. I, I was too hell bent on like copying these really old styles that I didn't really ever devote that much time to her or her playing. But I mean, she's incredible, and I'm not surprised at all that she plays on her pinky. But actually, I don't think that's true. I think Bonnie Raitt plays on her middle finger. I she just mentioned that, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe she goes back and forth for different styles or something. You know. Well, I know Bonnie Wright plays with it on her middle finger in standard tuning, at least, because that's how she does bar chords. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. I guess. You tell Amanda to call me. We'll, we'll, ch- we'll chat it out. <laughs> I'll have to work that out. Yeah, it's interesting. There's all these artists. I feel the same way too. It just music feels like an onion that you keep peeling back the layers, and there's another layer, and there's another, and it's just endless. You know, there's always a new band or a new you know person to dig into. Um, I, I totally understand Absolutely. how that feels. Well, there's a song called uh, Dream Boy on the on the new album, and that one really stood out to me. I really enjoyed that song. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, Dream Boy, as with almost all of my songs, started with a riff that I really liked that I wrote, and I was like, ooh, this is cool. I want to write something cool. And I um, kind of was trying to think of different subjects, and I almost sarcastically in my head was like, Oh, what if I wrote a song about my like my dream man? Like, and then that made me start thinking about all those really saccharine, sweet, tender songs from the '50s and like early '60s, where they do actually sing about their dream girl or their dream boy. And and I kind of wanted to do like a modern take on that idea that 
was almost a joke because it was different elements of things that seem improbable in this day and age, I'm sure. Like, I don't think many people walk around with a silver dagger or like, or, you know, a shiny dagger and silver boots or whatever <laughs> I said in that. But it, it, I got, it was really fun for me because I got to think of all the little things that I liked about, you know, the different romantic partners I had encountered in my life and write this song. And some of it's picked straight out of fantasy. Like it's the, some of it's just like, I haven't met someone who behaves like that. That's just like what I want, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. I like that. That's fun. The, um, another song that stood out to me was uh, dreaming, dreaming of Utah and had this great kind of desert vibe to it. Um, I'm just interested in, in, in where that song came from. Was it inspired by being out in Utah? Yeah, um, so the whole record was mostly written on the road. Visited Utah for the first time in 2008, uh, sorry, 2008, 2018, when I went on my first cross-country five-month tour, like a really big, long trip, and I lived out of my car, and I did a lot of camping. So I spent two weeks in Utah, actually, when I didn't have shows in August. It was almost kind of like the end of the tour and my little break to myself after playing for five months around the country. and. Anyway, I fell in love with the place, wrote a few songs there. Actually, I wrote Dream Boy there. I wrote that at Zion. And I also wrote, uh, oh, I'm trying to, I can't remember my own song name. It'll come to me. But um, when I moved to Nashville after traveling from L.A., I had been gone for five months. And I went home, and I, I love loved and currently I'm sure would love we're actually going to sponsor currently I don't think I would love living in LA um I loved my life in LA and I still decided that I should move to Nashville after my trip because it just seemed like I could get a lot closer to the people that could teach me more about both blues and old-time music and also just be around more people in the audience too that understood what I was referencing better and did it more so um, I moved to Nashville, and honestly, I hated it <laughs> for the first, you know, several months. And now I, I really enjoy it, and I'm here. But at the time, one of those days, I woke up and just picked up my guitar. And this doesn't happen usually like this. I know it sounds almost like a, a movie picture or something where it's like, I just picked up my guitar, and the song just came out. But it really did. For Dreaming of Utah, it really did, because I woke up, and I had been dreaming of Utah, and I was just, like, aching to travel again. But it was wintertime, and I was in this new gray city in the south, and I just, like, it was, like, a very big mix of, like, trying to encapsulate all the things that the travel had taught me, and then also a very real feeling of, like, missing it. And, you know, the whole question of whether if you're always traveling, is it that exciting or do you need to come home for it to be such, such a great experience? So that's kind of what that song is all about. Yeah, just reflecting on that. Well, I, I grew up here in, in Nevada in the Great Basin, which is very similar to Utah, um, you know, just kind of ge geographically. And uh, when I listened to it, it just it felt very like Nevada, Utah, Great Basin, you know, that, that desert openness and the big sky and all that. I really enjoy that song. That's oh, good. good. I'm glad it. I'm glad it came across. The new album's coming out in April, and obviously touring is, is shut down and all that. Um, I'm interested in what you're doing to to promote. Are you going to be doing like live streams or things like that? Well, stuff like this, you know, like is really more. I think how I'm going to be promoting it, just trying to get the word out and get some press, and 
Um, live streams. Yes, I, I I keep saying like yeah, I plan to do them. But I did I did a few over the summer for sure, especially when pandemic first started, and I just feel like that is a little saturated and that not a lot of people anymore respond to it super well unless it's like really hyped up. So, um, so no, I don't really plan to do a lot of like live streaming. I don't find it to be the most like when I did live stream most recently, it was unannounced and I was just feeling lonely and was like, what if I went live right now? And it was just for fun. You know what I mean? Um, but I do have a show at the station in, next month and while that will be live it will most people obviously will will attend virtually so i prefer to do something like that where it's an actual show that's filmed than um you know than live streams i just don't i don't know about them any anymore do you have uh, any sense of um uh, when uh, touring might start up again i have a show in august in wyoming so that's my personal timeline is like I don't while I don't think COVID's magically going to disappear I don't think it will be quite as bad by August and I would feel more comfortable playing a show but it is outdoors um but for me it's going to be around that time uh because I, I do hope to book some shows around that one so right late summer into the fall hopefully hopefully yeah yeah all right. Well, I think the new album sounds fantastic, and uh, I appreciate you uh, taking you. some time to talk with me. Um, any any final thoughts before we go? No, just thanks so much for chatting and for listening to the record. It's that's really special to get it out to people. Yeah.